tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. <laughs> it's almost as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. Want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Carry On by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I'm Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount. And before we get into this episode, we are going to talk about two things really quick, because it's the month of December, and a lot of people get and give gifts in the month of December. So we figured we'd tell you about some gift options that you could use to also support our podcast, because that's cool. First of all, Patreon recently made it so that you can do a year's subscription in one go, which makes it extra easy to get or give the gift of a Patreon membership, which gives you access to Tons of cool stuff, including episodes of our Buffy podcast, We Are the Gayers. Also, Jesse's delightful fanfic, some very risque comics that Theo draws. Uh, yeah, so that's rad. That's at patreon.com slash thegaylyprofit. And then also, we have a sticker club, which is where you can sign up and get a different queer or witchy or nerdy sticker in the mail every month. And... If you want to give that as a gift to someone, you can just put their information in the sent to box and then they will get the gift of a sticker club. So a couple options. Both of those support our show and like pay my salary because this is my only job. And uh, that's cool and fun. Yeah. All right. Um, and I'll just do the reminders up here so we're spoiling everything through the end of the book, but nothing from the sequels. Also, please go leave us a review. It makes us happy and helps people find the podcast. And now, Jesse, please tell us about what we're doing here. All right. So today we are reading, we are talking about chapters 45, 46, and 47. In chapter 45, uh, Simon's POV, Simon finally tells Penny what the fuck is going on with him and Baz. The murder mystery part, not the sexual obsession part. Simon tries to push some power into Penny and it fucking burns her. Baz and Penny bond over their mutual admiration of one Natasha Grimpich and being nerds about magic. Chapter 46 is in Baz's POV in which he finally puts some respect on Penny's name, which is deserved. Penny focuses on their shared goal of finding out who killed Natasha by pointing out that they know nothing about vampires, why vampires would have attacked a guarded school, and why there was no mention of the humdrum around the time of the attacks. Baz, because his family is held dysfunctional, didn't find out the humdrum was behind the attacks until he was literally at Watford. Also, all of the wars in the magical world start around the time the mage drove most of the vampires out of England. Totally a coincidence, not at all planned. <laughs> 47. It's Simon. We find out from Penny why all the wars started with the vampire raids, a general war against dark creatures, and the first attack by the Humdrum, along with the mages' reforms that, of course, pissed off the old family. Penny also digs into exactly why Simon shoved some magic into Baz. We all know why. He didn't <laughs> tell her. And if he could do it again... He wasn't totally sure. So let us enter. Easy come, easy go. Easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. What do you have first? Um, just that Penny's fangirling about Natasha is both hilarious and correct. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Simon's just like wait what <laughs> what is happening <laughs> yeah I think that the the way that Penny is like you're talking about politics we're talking about magic like I found that very I don't know hot like I just think it's like very nice to that she can 
make that distinction and also yeah her attitude is just great i think i'm very biased towards it also because it makes baz feel so tender which we're going to talk about in silhouette but Mm -hmm. that x added an extra layer for me of like oh this is good yeah no it was it was very cute my first thing is also about penny which is just that i like i mean she's justifiably so mad about simon not telling her about all of the things but the thing that she's mad about that made me laugh was her being like since when are you two a we and i was just like "Mm -hmm, an excellent question (laughs) (laughs) a question that of course simon conveniently does not answer yeah he's like we're not i mean but a little bit it's like "Uh Uh (laughs) uh-huh my second thing is also about penny (laughs) In which her swearing uh, Stevie Nicks and Grace Slick, which, I mean, we all know that Stevie Nicks is a witch, pretty well established. I just also love their, them throwing in Gracie Slick also, so. Yeah, um, her swear words are also my next thing. I just wrote them all down. These are great. I love magic person swear words, especially fuck a nine-toed troll. That was also very good. <laughs> Just the That's amount so of swearing good. she does is very funny. Yeah, I I like that it culminates in her doing a normal swear, which is saying fuck. Because like, <laughs> I feel like that's like, because magicians don't use normal swears, that mm-hmm. really shows us just how fucked up Simon's magic has made her. But we go on this like real roller coaster ride with her outburst it's pretty funny i'm curious about now thinking about it which of these things are like children not allowed to say like are you not allowed to say great snakes as a child in the world of mages i guess it's actually a really good question i don't know I love the idea of like a child being punished for saying stevie nicks that is <laughs> uh, yeah, that is true. Somehow I feel like that is kind of what Stevie Nicks wants secretly. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah. I uh, went back and forth about whether to put this here or in Shivers, but Baz is just so evasive about what it felt like to be magically <laughs> fucked by Simon. Yes, he was. <laughs> I really wasn't paying good. attention. I was trying to spell his dragon away. Yeah, he's like, I don't know. Don't talk to me. All right. So I just wanted to point out that Baz compares Penny and Baz to Ant and Deck, which I was like, what the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. Listeners, I'm from the U.S. I am not culturally literate. Uh, it's apparently a very co- very famous comedic comedic duo in the U.K. So, huh. yeah, because I was like, what is what is what what is he saying? Yeah, I was like, that's probably British, and just moved on. <laughs> yeah, sorry to our U.K. <laughs> listeners who were like, what are you talking about? I only watched the BBC for Doctor Who, like what, and the Great British Baking Show. I'm sorry. <laughs> Doctor Who is their greatest cultural export. Let's <laughs> True. Yeah. Uh, I am actually done with this section. Uh, I just, I have, I guess I have one more thing. Okay. Which is Baz fussing at Simon about drinking the milk out of the jug. When I'm like, yeah, dude, you were just about to chug that milk out of, with your mouth out of the jug. Like there are people around. That's not <laughs> what. Baz deserves to be like, what the fuck? I hit that and cut in a landslide because I was so upset about it. Both because Simon was going to do that, but also because, like, you just shouldn't chug milk. And I wrote, how many times do we have to talk about this? Because we just talked about this on the most recent We Are the Gayers episode. But, like, I was like, why? (laughs) Why? Why do I keep having to rant about how gross it is to just drink milk out of a fucking container? I mean, I guess if you're Stop not lactose, lactose intolerant and you're doing and you're expending a lot of energy like Simon and Buffy are doing in their lives, I guess it makes sense to chug a whole lot of milk. But like, it's still gross. I will say, though, at least Simon is probably about to chug like whole milk 
as opposed to the like skim or two percent that Buffy was chugging because we have issues in the United States with unreasonably taking fat out of perfectly good foods which I guess makes Simon's behavior a little bit better yeah yeah I mean diet culture in the U.S. is pretty terrible but like yeah like skim milk I think I said before is an atrocity Uh uh-huh like don't drink milk I don't know if that's ever come up but that's gross also, I think they have to, like, do something to it to make it white because it's, like, weirdly blue, apparently, after the skimming process. I don't know what my source is for that. Yeah, it's weird. just, like, just just fucking drink some almond milk or some shit. Drink some oat milk. Like, what? Like... Yeah, totally. So, anyway, that has been our rant against milk. <laughs> <laughs> It's much shorter than the last rant about what we did. I see a little silhouette of a man. Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character development. Uh, who do you want to start with? Um, I only have one thing about Baz, so we can start with him. Go for it. Uh, I just think it's incredibly tender and sad that Baz telling Penny that his mom hung the moon was in 110% seriousness is, like, crushing to me. It's, yep. Especially because it's a callback. Because in a previous chapter, he's like... To hear my father and Fiona talk about it, my mother may as well have hung the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's most of what I have here about him. And like when Penny says like they're gonna figure out who killed Natasha Grimpitch, and Baz is like the legend, and Penny's like can tell, you know, he's like repeating something that she said about his mom, and like I don't know that whole thing. I don't yeah. know if he's ever had this kind of validation from a non-family source about how great his mom was you know yeah that's true and especially because penny's family hates the pitches like it must feel so extra validating to him to hear penny talk about how great she was yeah like and penny at this point doesn't even like him particularly but she's like yeah duh your mom's fucking rad and it's like i don't know it just seems like it's like he he knows without a doubt that she's not lying about this to, for his for his feelings because right. Penny cares like negative about his feelings, but it's yeah. like it is a travesty that your mom was murdered. Like that's fucked up. We're yeah. gonna deal with this. And I guess speaking of Baz's family talking or not talking to him about things, my other thing about him here is that it's just so fucked up that he learned about what happened with his mom's death at school like in class with the rest of the students as like maybe an 11 year old for the first right. time like what is that five six years of silence about what's going on and it's like oh yeah you know the humdrum it's like what the fuck Ugh, it's so terrible it's so dysfunctional it's it's upsetting and it's very upsetting i yeah it makes me so sad and it's so well written the way that he sort of lays out like, no one tells anyone anything in this family. You just learn to know. And he sort of lists out the things that he knows without it being spoken about. And it's all things that, like, should be spoken about. It's so awful to think about a kid growing up just, like, not being allowed to talk about his mom's death. That he was there. That he witnessed. You know? Yeah. I just feel like that takes it to, like, sort of next level dysfunctional I mean, I guess also the, like, not being able to talk about, like, his vampirism is also super fucked up. Yeah. It, I mean, it sure is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Penny. Let's talk about Penny. All right. Let's talk about Penny. I guess I want to know your feelings on reading Penny as neurodivergent. Yeah, I'm totally here for that. I mean, I feel like... Up until this point in the book, she's sort of, like, given off vibes 
that make me feel that way. But this chapter, I guess, really made me be like, yeah, I think we should bring this into the conversation. Yeah. So part of it is the fact that so Simon actually says out loud, we never have to, you just want to. But he like acquiesces to her because he's like, she's not going to leave me alone until I do the thing that she wants me to do, which I guess feels very sort of like, I don't know, neurodivergent to me. And then on the like flip side of like the same thing, we have the way that she comes into this situation, absorbs the information and then immediately is like hyper focused on doing the thing, like won't even stop, like take a a moment away from like talking through the stuff while they're like eating dinner. She like has to be reminded by Baz to start eating. And then she's like, okay, I started eating and now we're going to keep talking about it, which just feels very familiar to me to be like, how dare you interrupt me while I'm like in the flow of talking about this thing? Like, okay, fine. I'll take a bite of this sandwich, but then I want to keep talking about vampires. Yeah. Let's stay on track. She's trying to like deeply problem solve this. And it's like, I don't have time for eating. That's not, that's not what I'm here for. I need to figure this out right the fuck now. Yeah. 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 I feel like that kind of hyper focus definitely feels pretty familiar. Definitely is a thing that a ton of people who are neurodiverse experience. I also feel like that's sort of pushing to know things that people know that she doesn't know. And I feel like the way that she goes about it is be like, well, I need to know right now. So we're going to do this. It's happening. And there like, just isn't any room for like discussion or compromise. It's like, no, this is, there isn't any other way. Why can't you see what I'm seeing? There's no other way, you know? Right. I feel like that sort of single mindedness where it's like, why are you trying to bother with all this other extra stuff? I can already see the path ahead and this is the path for knowledge. Yeah. And like the stuff that it's like, I'm ignoring because that's not important is like the other stuff is sort of like what society tells us that, you know, we should do if we're trying to get things from other people, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think that part of what made me feel that way too, is that she sees this situation where Simon can like share his power with someone and her mind immediately is like, we can fix the world. And In that context, the fact that it might hurt her is in no way enough of a reason to not see if something can happen that would allow her to like literally solve all of the world's problems. That's true. And so Simon's like, I might hurt you. And she's like, who the fuck cares? How could that possibly matter if we can like solve world hunger? And Simon is saying more than that. Right. He's also saying, like, I don't want to do this and I don't feel comfortable. But if she's just hearing him saying, I'm afraid of hurting you and she doesn't care about that, her sort of like bulldozing over his concerns, if she's like hearing him literally and being like, well, if your concern is for me and I don't care, then like you can dismiss your concern and we can move ahead. That makes total sense to me. Yeah, because he's not, you're right, he's not saying all of his concerns. He's trying to be like, oh, but you're going to get hurt. And then the, like, unspoken thing is you understand my other concerns. And it's like, no, I don't, bitch. You just said that. I'm going to be like, no, that's, I don't care about that. You're right. And I mean, I I think he, I think you make a really great point because I, like, really don't like when people just don't say what they mean. Because I'm like... <laughs> Are you being sarcastic? Are you being sincere? Are you being passive aggressive? Are you trying to guilt trip me? Like, what the fuck is happening? You know? Yeah. Just tell me the thing. (laughs) Yes. Which I feel like is also because I think if I wasn't neurodiverse, that that probably wouldn't be as important to me. But my brain is like, there are so many ways I can take what you're saying. Just just tell me the thing directly. (laughs) Like, I can't read the subtext. I need the text. That's literally why I keep firing therapists is and like why I've decided I can't see a neurotypical therapist is because they like insinuate things to like presumably get me to talk about something and I can like literally feel pressure building up behind my eyes as I try to like understand what they're trying to say or like get me to say and I don't know and I like leave every session being like I don't understand like what I just paid $25 copay to do 
And like while I was processing that with Evan deciding whether or not I should fire my most recent therapist, he was brought up that I'm the only person that he's ever been able to like talk about feelings with. But like, you know, we've been together for 10 years. I was like, you like learned to speak feelings in the context of our relationship by going to therapy and stuff like that. He was like, yeah, but also like I've never been in another relationship where people just say what they mean. And I feel like I can talk to you about feelings because you just like say what you mean and expect me to say what I mean. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And that actually like helped me understand part of what I was experiencing with my therapist of like, I I feel like their training has taught them not to say what they mean to me. And then I'm like, what the fuck is happening right now? Like, yeah. what are we doing here? Yeah, it was a, like, huge breakthrough in why me and Nicole kept having the same fight when it's like, oh, you're asking me questions because you're because there's subtext to what you're saying as opposed to just being like, I'm annoyed you didn't do that thing, you know? It's like, why did you right. do that thing? And I'm like, I don't know, my brain is broken. I don't know why I didn't do that thing. Like, what? What? <laughs> what? Yeah. I was, I had a bunch of work and I was exhausted. Like, I don't know what you're, like, what are you actually asking me? Mm-hmm. Like, just tell me directly what you want what you want me to yep. do and what you're annoyed by so yeah um i don't know why we how why people decided to why passive aggressiveness was just the way to communicate i don't know i'm sure it's something about white supremacy or something but like it's the worst <laughs> it totally is it's terrible and right and people who do just say what they mean are like blunt or don't have social graces or blah blah and it's like no it's perfect i want to know exactly what's going right on. oh my god yes and i feel like one of the examples that i can think of that was just like so weird to me was like a childcare gig that i had where like the amount that they were paying me they were like expecting me to also like do chores but they hadn't explicitly said that to me and then they were like sort of like hinting that like something was wrong and I was just like can you like say what you mean and they were like oh well like usually when we pay this money like we expect you to do dishes and like whatever else and I was like great just say that that's fine I'm not gonna do dishes because I want to hang out with your kids so you can pay me less per hour that's fine just say it and like the look on the person's face when I said that of just like oh I can I could just like say that and we can have this resolved that easily it was just like yes like why why did we have to spend like 10 minutes uncomfortably in your kitchen not saying a thing just be like i can only pay you x number of dollars an hour if you're not going to wash dishes that's fine yeah i had a i once worked a very toxic work environment where if something was going wrong no one said anything and it was just like weird tension and pressure and it made me want to just like quit my job and leave the city Mm -hmm. (laughs) and feel like i'm done fucking done with everything Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah which is why i need to be a farmer and never speak to anyone ever again so (laughs) Please continue speaking to me. I will. Yes, obviously you, you are exempt from that, everyone. People I don't know. <laughs> never speak to strangers or coworkers ever again. Because my coworkers yep. will be sheep. It'll be great. Anyway. <laughs> All of which is to say, I identify a lot with Penny in this moment. And so I feel like I. that's why I'm proposing. And also you are proposing. We're all agreeing that Penny is neurodiverse. Yeah. I guess now that I think about it, we're probably also going to have that same conclusion about Anya when we get to her in We Are the Gayers. My God. Yes, absolutely. I just am. That, oh my God, was just that Anya is like my favorite character. And I, can't <laughs> I think she's like, she's definitely in my like top five, but we'll get to that on a different podcast. Join us on Patreon if you want to hear us talk about Buffy even more. Because if you like vampires, you're really going to like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about things that are fucked up and also politics. I usually say that in the other order. Yeah. (laughs) What's first? I mean, okay, so first off, 
vampires are people it's fucked up to like quote unquote drive them out of england and like of course the mage is just the fucking worst dude ever and he clearly was doing that to starve all this bullshit so he could be in charge but like bro what <laughs> don't start fucking wars what the fuck on so many levels because the solution to that right would be to like have come up with a solution right where it's like okay you're part of our community and not the normal community whether we want you to be part of our community or not and so how do we help you get what you need without you murdering people yeah sit down have a bunch of really annoying meetings and come up with a solution that you could create like a community agreement between the mages and the vampires that everyone has to sign and i mean it's annoying but like as opposed to just murdering all these fucking vampires. Mm-hmm. Right. And Penny says mages and vampires have never gotten along because mages need normals alive and vampires need them dead. Which is like, so you're not even thinking about the normals as people. You're thinking about them as a commodity, which yeah. is an extra layer of gross on top of that. It's like, don't kill our sheep. We need our sheep for wool. And it's like, but those sheep are people. Right, exactly. I mean, though, let's be real. I feel like the mage is the kind of dude who would, in fact, call normal sheeple. So. Probably. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we spent a lot of time in our last episode talking about houselessness. And the other thing that the mage driving them out of the UK reminded me of is people like tearing down houseless people's homes and, you know, like clearing out encampments and sort of being like, we don't want you here. Go be someone else's problem. Because if vampires are a problem and you don't want them in your country, the assumption is that, well, I got rid of them in the UK. So like what? You just go live in France now and you can be France's problem. That's not their people. They don't disappear just because you kick them out of a place. So like, what are you doing? This is not how you solve this problem. You solve the problem by addressing the root cause, which is vampires. You need to not murder people. Yeah. And especially because like, I mean, we even see later in this book where it's like we... There are clearly still vampires living in the UK. They're just super underground living this like sort of fearful life because it's like if the if the magicians ever found out, they'd fucking murder them, mm-hmm. you know? And then we have Nicodemus and Ebb's weird don't ask, don't tell relationship, which, I mean, they're twins. That's fucked up. Like they're, they were so close and now... He can't even speak to his fucking sister because he's a vampire. And it's like, how many other families have been torn apart like this? Because Uncle Jim's a vampire, but he had to fuck off to Finland because the mage is a piece of shit. Yeah. Or like, yep, my mom killed her brother because he's a vampire. And it's like, what? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think most vampires are former mages. I think... That's true. But that doesn't really change anything about what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, they still had families and lives. And I don't know. There's a ton of agricultural land in the UK. There's plenty of... I'm sorry, everyone lives in the UK. Cows, sheep, they could have been importing into London for them to feed on. And, like, maybe that's not as cool as, like, eating people, but... It's a compromise that could have been, it could have happened if they had just, you know, communicated to the vampires as opposed to just being like, we're going to murder you on sight. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. The way that vampirism manifests in this world, it's, it's just not a problem. (laughs) I don't, I don't know how many different ways or how many times we necessarily need to say this, but it's just not a problem. And it's not... I can't even tell how much it's a problem with goblins. You know, if goblins have to eat people to survive, 
that might be more of an issue. Goblins seem to have like more ill intent than vampires, but maybe that's just because of discrimination. I don't know. But these are just people with a fucking medical condition and there's no excuse for driving them out of England. Yep. (laughs) Good rant. (laughs) Yep. The the mage is the worst. Even though the ones that are still in England are there because the mage was like set up here and I will leave you alone in exchange for you murdering Natasha Grimpitch for me. Which, I don't know. So maybe the answer is just that all mages are the worst. (laughs) I mean, yeah, maybe. I feel like there's a class of mages who refer to normals as um, language producers and just don't even, you know, refer to them as normals or as people at all. They just provide a resource. Okay, so speaking of the mage... We have this interaction where Baz says, imagine what the mage will do when he realizes he has a nuclear power generator in his backyard, which is a real good point because I bet it's nothing good. I know. Baz really calls before anyone else calls it. I I know. Uh, Yeah. And you can sort of see Simon and Penny reacting to and realizing how right he is. And we do get this situation with Simon where he's like, I don't want to tell the mage. I mean, I don't want to tell anyone because he doesn't, you know, Simon is starting to like emotionally separate himself from the mage, but he's not really ready to yet. But, you know, he hears Baz say that and he's like, oh, fuck, Baz is totally right. And but he can't even admit to himself that it's really just like uh or especially the mage that he's concerned about having find out about this Mm -hmm. and i mean i think also part of it is that as much as the mage tries to be a like very distant parental figure in his life i'm sure simon's still concerned that the mage is just gonna like abduct him and take him away from watford if he ever told him this shit yeah totally and that is i mean he he did just get bass back so he can't leave watford Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. I just have that Baz says that Penny's house must be teeming with forbidden books in the context of saying that she's got a good mind for magical history. And I am just upset that magical history books would be forbidden. What the fuck? What the fuck? I mean, that's got to be another thing that the mage has done because he's a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, he's the one who forbids the books, but like a history book? I mean, listen, we all know that a well-educated populace is a dangerous populace. Uh... The mage is probably read American history. He's like, oh, yeah, if you just don't tell them history, you can just rewrite. You could just say whatever and no one will know because they don't know the actual history. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fuck that all the way. Send shivers down my spine. Welcome to Sends Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff. Uh, we got some good some good moments here in these string mm. of chapters. I, so the one that I definitely noticed, and actually this is the only thing I have, is that. Baz is, you know, going through his internal monologue with us. And then, like, Simon, like, reaches behind Penny and his, like, shirt rucks up. And it's just Mm. like, oh, you really did notice that, like, (laughs) little strip of skin that showed when uh, Simon was reaching over, didn't you, Baz? Hmm. You're really all about that, huh? (laughs) It's just like... Oh, that's cute. It's just LOL. just like... It's very, you know, Victorian lady hitching up her skirt to expose her ankle. It is. It is. And I, and I feel like it like totally derails Baz's thought for a second where he's just like, wait, what? what was I yeah. Doing that? yeah. He's just like, oh, man. Yeah. He also comments on Penny reaching over Simon's lap to grab a brownie, which also felt very, it felt sort of like Baz being jealous of her comfort with Simon, her ability to just be that physically nonchalant 
with him and you know felt very like oh to be able to casually reach across simon snow's lap for a brownie i know it's not gonna happen for another couple hundred pages my dude (laughs) (laughs) sorry Uh, um all right so i just wanted to remark upon how just casually sexual baz is as a person (laughs) yep okay it's really nice. Like, Penny says that his magic is hot, and he knows what she means, but he still takes the moment to, like, quirk an eyebrow at her. And it's like a reflex, you know? He doesn't even think about it. He's just like, yeah. Did you say my magic is hot? Hey. <laughs> it's just great. I don't know. I really liked it. I feel like... Obviously, having that kind of level of confidence is sexy. Because I'm like, what yeah. must that be like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's totally how I would have responded to <laughs> Fair. It's like, you know, you, you, you open that door, you know, just walk. You just got to walk through it. All right. And then this last thing is not actually sexy. It's just feelings-y. But when that the very end of the last chapter when Penny says that Simon used Baz like a wand and Simon just closes his eyes and says, I wasn't using him. I know. <laughs> it was mutual, uh, Penny. Right. Everyone had a good time. My heart. Clueless Simon. He's just bordering on not clueless at this point, though. The fact that he has to close his eyes to, like, reckon with the feeling that it gives him to think about being accused of using Baz Mm -hmm. is like, oh, you're, something's creeping up here, buddy. Which is great. Maybe it's more denial then than cluelessness. Yes. Or just confusion. Abject (laughs) confusion. Listen, who among us hasn't felt a little bit of gay panic? It's all right. Is this just fantasy? Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. I have a lot here. I also have a lot here. This is, I think, maybe where most of my notes are. All right, I'm going to start off with, which I bet you also have on your list, which is family magic and marriage rights. Yeah. I would literally read a whole book about this because I'm like, what a good idea. Like, I just want to know more about this. Yes. It's so exciting. (laughs) And Penny's parents being like married in in, like five different dimensions. Like, or what? (laughs) It's so great. I know. I don't even know what that means, but I'm very excited about it. Yeah. And then I was also thinking because I've been thinking a lot about like what would be a fun, lighthearted, not problematic queer romance after watching Happiest Season. And Mm. it would be so funny and cute to just to see like a queer romance between magical people where like one person has to go through ever increasingly ridiculous marriage rights <laughs> in order to get married to their person. <laughs> and I'm like, just like the most ridiculous like romance fantasy book. I gotta go, I gotta do what? I gotta go like pluck a like dragon scale off of a dragon's butt. Like what? I just, can we just go to a <laughs> church? What? <laughs> okay, fine. I love you, I'll go. God. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> you know. I um just being bound together in five dimensions, I do want to say though, as someone who is very like it's normal and natural for relationships to end, and that doesn't mean that the relationship wasn't good and wonderful. That does sound like it would make breaking up exquisitely difficult, like significantly more difficult than just getting divorced. <laughs> yeah, you you have to be like really figure out if you want to like get separated yeah i don't know yeah or like be really sure you're like there literally isn't anyone else for me or so. are there multi-dimensional prenups that you can sign that makes things a little bit easier <laughs> uh, just 
so much paperwork. The paperwork of five different dimensions sounds honestly horrifying. It does. <laughs> also, though, like worth it if it saves you time later. If That's true. And effort. You know, it's easier to do that kind of work when you're like in love and think that you're never going to have to use it than when you've decided to uncouple and it's like painful and you don't really want to like be around each other for a while while you heal. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. What what else do you have about this? And of course, Penny has to be extra. And it's like, yeah, I want to stop time when I propose to Micah. It's like you're being 110 percent serious. Not just like, oh, and time stopped. You're like, no, time is going to fucking stop. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, I love it. It, it, is, it is very romantic. I will give her that. But also, like, so I extra. mean, when you, when you were raised by people who went through the trouble of getting bound together in five dimensions and also her dad's like super into like marriage rights, of course she's not even going to think that anything less than stopping time is an option to her, you know? Or defending your future spouse in three different duels, which is pretty rad. It is super rad. And that's what I want to talk about next, is that the fact that Baz's mom defended his dad in three duels and Penny is the one planning to propose makes me think that this is a, like in het relationships like women are expected to do the initiating or whatever in this society which i really like yeah i'm definitely here for that because baz says that it's traditional that his mom defended his dad in three duels so that means that like again in het relationships the woman defending the man in in duels is like expected in the old money families So it goes back generations like they have a matriarchal society. You know, Baz would totally defend Simon in three duels. He would. Simon would also defend Baz in three duels. Do you have to have six duels if you're in a queer relationship? I mean, considering (laughs) Simon's life, Simon and Baz's life, it wouldn't be hard for him to find six duels to This goes back to my roommate's novel idea, just increasingly ridiculous marriage rights. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wonder if there are special ones for queer couples that it's more like a quest, like you have to go on a quest together and accomplish it as a couple or something like that. Which sounds super cute. It does sound cute. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the spinoff I want from this. I want a series like a short, short stories a collection from Rainbow Rowell about different marriage rights. Hell yeah. When she finally acknowledges that our podcast exists, we can ask her for it. (laughs) One day. Are you all tweeting at Rainbow Rowell about our podcast? That's your job as listeners. Yeah, what else? So I'm going to move on from this. And I know we talked about this earlier on, but we just got a confirmation that in fact some magicians do at least marry normals or mundanes are those the same thing or mundanes people who just aren't very powerful i think he's just using mundane as a as an adjective to describe not as like a it's not capitalized is it i don't think so but he's just making fun of like penny's last name yeah i think he just means hopelessly mundane the way that you would describe anything boring as that's fair hopelessly mundane Maybe they just go somewhere else, but it's like, uh, we can't all have fairy tale names. Tyrannus Grimpitch. Like, right. bro. <laughs> but wait, does he say that she, I'm sorry, do you have this segment? Because now I can't remember. She must have. Let me pull it up. Hold on. It's not capitalized. He just says there must be m- mundanity in her blood somewhere. Bunce is the least magical name in the realm. Huh. What an excellent question. Does that mean that somewhere in their lineage, he's accusing them of having married a normal or just that he's accusing them of having married beneath their magical station? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it could go either way. Yeah. But I I guess I thought I, I guess I interpret it as potentially a normal since he said that Bunt is the least magical name. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess if our up until like 
20 years ago, Watford wasn't accepting anyone. He was just a low-powered magician. Like, I guess it could go either way, I suppose. Yeah, and Penny's dad is low-powered, and he only got in uh, because nepotism, so. Yeah. I'm not sure about about that. This is a great question that obviously we're not going to answer, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... We already knew, I think, that everyone's magic feels different, but we learned that Penny's magic feels thick and makes your mouth taste like sage, which sounds lovely. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, that feeling after you eat, like, stuffing, you're just like, cool. Yeah. Very comforting. Yeah. I want Penny to do magic on me after reading that. I'm like, oh. That sounds so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like the weighted blanket of magic. Hell yeah. I know. That's so cool. It just seems so great, I guess, to know that about Penny. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, your turn. I really like that in these series, slaying a dragon is dark magic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously you get a lot of fantasy books where it's like, the dragons are cool, don't kill them. You know, they're rad. And I just like, I don't know, yeah, don't, don't kill dragons in your book. They're cool. But I have a second question, which I don't think mm-hmm. we're going to have an answer to, which is if... Killing a dragon is powerful dark magic that could literally open a doorway to hell. Did Simon do that his first year when he exploded a dragon? I also wondered that. I mean, because, like, I mean, obviously with the way that him and the humdrum are connected, it's like there were some holes ripped somewhere, you know, when Mm. that happened. But if that's happening and I'm, like, on top of, like, some super dark magic, this is, like, a pretty major thing. So I assume that the opening a portal to hell thing or doorway would be you kill the dragon as part of a rite that you're Uh, doing mm. i would hope that just exploding a dragon would not just automatically do that but it is still probably you know does some damage but probably just to the person that does it maybe because i feel like because that's part of baz's concern in the last chapter about simon killing the dragon right but I don't think, yeah, I assume that I assume that he means that, like, if you were doing, like, a ritual to open a doorway to hell, it would involve slaying a dragon. Okay. Like, sacrificing a dragon or whatever. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, we've met my favorite spell. <laughs> Fine Tooth Comb. The best of all spells. Maybe just because this is the spell that Harry Potter needs the most badly of any spell that we learn from the Simon Snow series. Yeah. This is an excellent spell. This is the perfect spell. It's Google for books. It's better than the Dewey Decimal System. It's better than a table of contents. It's better than an appendix. It's better than an index. Like, there's nothing. This is the perfect spell. I'm like, my, like, nerd cred is just, like, stacking up and filling the room right now. But I <laughs> love this spell so much. Yeah, I have I have very similar feelings. Yeah, it's basically like when you're, like, you know, trying to find something on a, like, on a webpage, you just hit control F and you can just, like, find that keyword. But for books, I'm like, this would have been useful to me in college. We simply three right now. I'm like, so perfect. And also, like, Hermione should have invented this, invented the spell as opposed to them being like, let's just look through some books. And it's like, what? You're, you're literally magic. Are you fucking shitting me? I know. Oh, my God. Imagine how much ranting we're going to do about needing this spell when Harry is looking for a solution for going in the lake when we're in book four. Yeah uh i yes this is just it's just so wonderful i know so wonderful it's like it's just yeah yeah i feel like this is the one spell out of this book it's like i need that if i could be one spell this is the one that i would want absolutely yes it would have been funny if the if the spell had been control f I guess people don't say that out loud. They just yeah. do it. So it wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't be magic. It still would have been really funny, though. But it does make me wonder if, like, in 2020, if, like, Google it would be a similar spell, considering how I many people say, you know, t- refer to that 
about like looking something up. Totally. Oh yeah, that would absolutely be a spell. Cool. Great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality. Next time we are reading chapters 48 and 49. So get caught up. Escape from Reality is produced, mixed, and edited by me, Lark Malachi Gray. And uh, you can find us all over the internet through our other podcast, The Gaily Prophet, which if you are, you know, into Harry Potter, you should also listen to that podcast because it is fun despite the author being trash. Uh, Yeah, the places you can find us on the internet through that podcast are on Instagram and Twitter at The Gaily Prophet, Tumblr at The Gaily Prophet Podcast, and our website, thegailyprophet.com which is where you can buy our merch, including joining our sticker club. Yeah. And, you know, no worries if you can't afford any of our merch or our Patreon. You should uh, can leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Leave us a five-star review because we read every one of them and it makes us feel really great. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, tell all your friends because the more people in this fandom means the more potential Snow Bears fanfic and art we're going to get. So heck yeah. Excellent. Start recruiting point. people, get them carry on for whatever gift giving holiday you may or may not celebrate. Yeah. Uh you can find me on the internet and Instagram at Lark Malachi, which is L-A-R-K-M-A-L-A-K-A-I, or on my website, which is larkmalachi.com, where you can get a tarot reading from me. If you want to follow me you can find me on twitter at jesse underscore detroit or on instagram at Lia from detroit our show art is by theo julian forrester the music and our theme song is by kevin mcleod the rest of the music is bohemian rhapsody by queen and until next time scott